your big Hollywood sunglasses and light the torch because it's cellar time. Welcome to the Crack Cellar, as the prophecy was once foretold. I'm T-Spirit Penguin Daniel. And I am Ascended Nichols, polished as ever, here to shine upon you. Don't worry, he'll have a few cameos and be back for season seven. Single tear just dropped on my eye. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. Michael uh... Shanks, where are you? (laughs) Someday I really hope that we uh, are sitting here talking about the new Stargate series but for some reason, I, think I it's still have my doubts. Than we think. I think it's closer than we think. Well, that's what I think everyone says, I, but it's like I have PTSD. I think this year. I think this year we're going to be talking about it. I hope so. I hope from from your lips to God's ears, broadcaster Nichols. We are close. And uh, speaking of being close, I hear you're close to a new game that you have had a little one night stand with called Valheim. A few. Maybe a. Maybe a few. So uh, I'm not big on the survival horror games uh, that are more like broadly based, like open world sort of MMO style survival games. I wouldn't call it horror at all. I think some of them are like like Day Z is like a sur- like is a horror, uh, but then like the one I the, you were saying Valheim. Also, yeah. Well, no, no. I just mean the genre in general. Valheim sort of in this genre of games that sometimes with Daisy, you kind of have horror. And then there's other examples like arc. Did you ever play arc? I didn't. That one was not really horror. I think that one's more like Valheim, but I've never been into that genre in general. And I've always sort of poo pooed all the games, but this Valheim game is the first one where I saw the trailer and I was like, I want to play that. So uh, well, broadcaster Nichols. I know that you've been playing it for about five days straight. You've been you've been on a bender with your new flame. I want you to give me the sales pitch, Broadcaster Nichols. Why should I press the buy button on Steam? Well, for one, it's it gives you it gives you some AC vibes, mm, but like not but not immediately. Mm. Like the aesthetic of it almost immediately gives you some AC vibes. You're just like, oh, especially when you level up skills, you get a very familiar special effects <laughs> when uh, when you level the skill up that you're going to see immediately and you're going to be like, wow, that's some nostalgia right there. Are you talking <laughs> about like the balloon thing? I'm talking about like the AC level up, the purple like bling or the rainbow level up. Remember when you... It's like a rainbow actually- of balloons, right? That was when you actually leveled up. But remember when you leveled a skill up, you like had like that purple balloon thing. Oh yeah. So like it's like a mix between both those. And there's a couple other things in the in the game that remind you of AC, like portals, for instance, that you don't get to immediately, so you won't see it, you won't pick up on it. But once you do get there, you're going to be like, holy shit, this is like the hub. So it uses, <laughs> it uses like the portal system as the instant travel mechanic. 
Yeah, but I'm not even there yet. Like I'm probably I'm probably a couple days away from getting there. And we've been playing, me and Alex have been playing a lot. But nonetheless, this game is very much a survival game and if I were to say if it was like a mix of two games, it is literally RuneScape or any budget MMO you want to uh pick mixed with rust mm, where yeah. it's like this giant open server your personal server-based world that you get to host people in and this world is fucking huge like me and alex have not even scraped probably like an eighth of the world yet and we have been going hard at the game so you're saying that it it's a little bit better than Fallout 76 is what you're telling me. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and the building part of it is really expansive. Like there's there's uh, wood and then there's Bronze Age and then there's log cabins. And there's stone making. But all the like just to get to making stone, you have to be able to make a furnace, which requires you to make a pickaxe which requires you to you know do a lot of mining with just an antler pick which you need to hunt deer for and and you need a bow to hunt deer effectively and you know there's just all these steps just to get one more item and it's a very literal game like you have to keep out of the rain to stay dry you lose your you lose your bonuses and you lose your stamina quicker when you're in the rain you can get cold um there's like wagons that you have to that if you want to carry like heavy material long distances, which you're going to be doing a lot of, you build carts and the carts have to have surfaces that are st- flat enough to go across, which means you have to cult- you have to till and cultivate and manipulate the land with your hose to make roads, which takes a considerable amount of time. This essentially like to play this game solo, you're going to be doing very very small steps every day it's going to take you months to get anywhere in this game playing solo you have to have help and Just what's me. what's the landscape like in terms of how many players per server how are the servers created who is chosen for what server how does all that work so you can create your own server like as soon as i installed the game it's like i think it's less than 100 megabytes or something it's a very small fucking game wow. <laughs> and, wait yeah. wait wait 100 megabytes it was impressive, and I'm, I'm exaggerating, but it's okay. it's less than a gig. I'll tell you that it's less than 500 megabytes. I'm pretty sure wow. it installed in a second. As soon as I downloaded it, it was go- it was just installed. Um, and as soon as I installed it and I started it up, I started my own server, and Alex did the same thing. We just started ended up playing on his server. And your character, from what we understand, everything you do, because you can make multiple characters, like Diablo, you make characters that sit around a campfire and I, on the menu. Mm-hmm. And this character that I've brought in into my server and Alex's server keeps all of his equipment and his inventory. That's so very Ashran's call style. It's called a yeah. <laughs> and here's And yeah, and here's where the Ashran's call comes in. You can turn player killer on. So when you go into a server, the host can allow player killing or not no player killing. So you can like a, make a server super established with castles and shit like that and then make it public or something like that and allow player killing, you know. So there's a lot of scenarios and once you play this game once, you'll get an idea of how fucking big this map is. It's gigantic. It's impressively big because of how low sk- resolution the game is. Is it bigger than Dareth? 
Absolutely. Really? Once once you see the scale of this map, it here, give me hold on. It might be it might be the exact same. Is it it might is there are there load screens or is it can you run from one side of the map to the other? No load screens. No loads no loads. So you're telling me that this is Ashran's call style map with no load screens that's actually bigger than Dareth. So I've played 39 hours of Valheim with with another person, all right? Not solo. And we've done nothing but explore. We've been building huts in every single hour of every day. We've just been exploring, gathering stuff, continuing to to search the map and get it uh, searched so we know where everything's at. And we have probably covered less than... Five to eight percent of the map, hmm. like visibly, like when you hit M on the keyboard and you look at the map and you zoom all the way out, you're on this planet floating in a universe. It's actually pretty cool looking, and it is. We're just like this speck <laughs> in wow. this giant grayed out world, and there are no loads. Okay. Well, get me. Keep this in mind. There are load screens like Ashran's calls dungeons, where right. you can like. You can yeah. go into a dungeon and load, but everything on the surface, like, is no load screen. There are no regions that you have to load into. All right. Well, that's one for the buy column for sure, if that's true, because, Dude, yeah. man, that is exactly what I miss in video games, specifically massively multiplayer online games, which leads me to my next question. How many players can be on one of these servers? It's got to be high, right? Because this, if the world is that right big, now. Right now, and I'm not a veteran. This game's actually been out for quite some time now, and I'm not totally familiar, but right now, as it stands for me and Alex, when we're making these servers, which are just, maybe you can make bigger servers, I'm not quite sure, but it it, it says 1 out of 20, I'm pretty sure. I might be getting that wrong, but I'm pretty sure my memory serves me right. It says 1 out of 20 when I join Alex's server. Yeah, see, that doesn't add up. There's got to be something we're missing with that, because why would you have a world as big as Dareth and only let 20 people in? That's ridiculous. Once you play the game and you realize how much of an area you uh, make yours, you know, you realize that 20 people is quite a bit. If you have so 20 people is four or five man crews, right? Me and Alex have done some damage just in the areas we've explored. We've carved our path out in the area we've explored. We, we got a substantial amount going, but again, it's just a sliver of the map. If we have three other people just on our team and then there was three other team of five people out there doing their own thing. I, I think it's enough, especially that would, that would only cover like 20% of the map. Assuming they weren't in the same area as you. For three, that's in only in three days worth of gameplay, right? This is yeah. a this this is like a long term thing, right? Like Rust, for instance, that's why I brought it up because there's a lot of building and server based uh maps. You get a wipe. There's a wipe once a week, you know? And for this game, I could see a wipe once a month, maybe. I think Tarkov, Escape from Tarkov has like a once every six months or three months wipe 
you know, once everyone's so OP and the newbies don't even stand a chance on any server, they just wipe everybody. But I thought the servers were created by people, so wouldn't the creator of the server have power whether or not there's a wipe, or do they just force wipes on people? Well, remember, you have your own personal server that you can build up and you never have to wipe. But eventually, after, I I imagine, months and months of gameplay, you're going to have that you're not going to have much to do on your own personal server. So the end game for this game is kind of like taking your, the best, the wall, the best gear that you're comfortable with losing or whatever you're feeling saucy with at the time and jump into some public server, right? Cause there are public servers and then there's private servers. So you can go into a public server and just like go tear shit up or something. Okay. But again, I could be getting some of this wrong. Because I haven't joined into a public server yet. There is a distinguishable thing in the user interface in the game and the menu where it says private servers are public servers. And me and Alex have just been playing on our own personal servers so far. So I don't know if we, when we jump into the public server, it's like, hey, you need to build a character that's blank or blah, blah, blah. Or if people can actually set rules to joining their server so you can't bring in your nice shit. I'm not. Hmm. You know, I'm not quite sure what the rules are yet. Very interesting. But the potential of what I'm seeing is really cool. It's it it's a super addicting, and it's already beaten GTA Five with concurrent players, peak concurrent <laughs> players. And it's I mean, it hasn't been out that long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it looks really cool. I don't like I said, I'm not a big fan of those games in general, but I just happened to f- catch this trailer randomly. And then I was like, where the fuck did this come from? For sure. But I can't one believe thing it. I'm really curious about the, the one thing I'm really curious about is uh, combat. So what's the combat like? Um, It's pretty much like, you know, a, a free roam hack and slash type thing. So like is it tab target have, is it or is it like action no it's action okay no targeting at all okay you just have that you just have your reticle and you kind of like you know like an fps you just kind of get it over the enemy and click and yeah. uh so you have a bows the only thing that acts somewhat differently is a bow where it's like this blooming reticle that's slowly shrinking as you pull the tension on the string and then that you know judges the distance in which it travels is there any magic? So far, no. But the game is super expansive. I mean, me and you might just we, not got to it. Exactly. It was taking okay. us three days, and we just got to bombs. We found some ooze that some green jelly D and D type creature drops, and it gave us a recipe to make a fire bomb. So, you know, who cool. knows? I see. Well, uh, yeah, I think I think. Uh, I'm gonna pick that up, and uh, let's let's play a when we do it. Let's do a, a public server. I want to see what it's like in the in the yeah, wild. That'll be fun. That'll be yeah. fun. And, uh, I'll tell you right now, I I'll, that in the public server, I'm pretty sure it's just gonna be like wild west shit. You're just gonna like start with some stuff and just try to siege some people's castles. <laughs> uh, well, I have Dark Tide on my mind, so that's. Kind yeah. of what I'm hoping for. <laughs> One thing I didn't mention, though, is that there are, like, mystical creatures in the game. You do fight dragons and giant trolls and giant tree creatures. And Is that the end game, basically? The raid bosses? No, not even. Oh, really? 
Yeah, the dragons might be endgame. I haven't fall. I haven't ran into any. I just know they exist. I see. Well, broadcaster Nichols. Valheim is one thing, but there exists something on a higher plane, something even more rare and more foretold than the prophecy in which we base our crack seller antics. It is a mythical beast, much like the Chimera or the Kraken. We call it the Snyder Cut, Broadcaster Nichols. Are you ready to preview a movie that already came out four years ago? But it's going to be better this time, we promise. Indubitably. What's that? You want more crack seller? <laughs> this is good. Join your lords on Twitter at the crack seller and Facebook.com slash the crack seller. Hey, you over there. Are you a straight up Chad or a strong woman? Well, you can find us on Apple Podcasts and your favorite podcasting app. Or, if you're a straight-up beta cuck, find us on YouTube with the rest of the Cloud Chasers. And we're back with our preview of the Snyder Cut. It is kind of crazy how good that trailer looked. Oh, I know. I've never been, I was never one of those Snyder deniers. In fact, I love 300. I've never been one of those people that says Snyder is a shitty director. A lot of people out there think there is, mainly they're Marvel fans. Oh, I think 300 is amazing. That first, I didn't think the sequel was that good. but One of the greatest action films out there, no doubt. Hell yeah. He also, like, pioneered the slow-mo panning. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, so many people stole that shit after he did that movie. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But uh, nonetheless, I... I got a lot of hope for this movie now. Mm. Seeing that trailer, so let's let's just get this out of the way right off the bat. I first watched, well, I only watched Justice League once, and I watched it late at night while I was drinking, and I'm pretty sure I only made it about halfway through the movie, so I don't think it's I actually saw movie. the end of the original Justice League, but it was god awful, and it. Almost made me swear off DC altogether. I remember waking up the next morning, just be like, "Fuck this! I'm not watching these anymore." Yeah. And just to just for the record, it wasn't god awful as in like the like the C- now Superman CG's the mouth on it, the mouth on that fool was terrible. But nonetheless, back to my point. Oh it's yeah, I forgot like about that. That was bad. It was the it was the editing that was bad in the uh, the original justice league it was all over the place incoherent and uh, it was boring mm. you just like you, you never felt for any of the characters like everybody was supposed to be worth something you know it just it just felt bad yeah and just seeing this trailer you just feel the depth of it knowing it's going to be four hours and seeing this new trailer it's like okay I'm starting to see the potential of his original vision. Yeah, I think what the original Justice League did truly was expose Joss Whedon as a hack. <laughs> because I, I'm guilty of this as well. I used to gush over Joss Whedon. I really liked him as a director, as a creator, as a writer. I really liked Cabin in the Woods, which... 
in retrospect, I'm not sure exactly how much he had to do with. It seems like when he really gets the reins given to him, it doesn't turn out well. And I wonder if he was maybe surrounding himself with some really good people that made him look really good. Most definitely. But what will be different? What do you think? Because I don't know what you've heard about this, but I have heard personally that 80% of this movie is going to be new and not from the original Justice League. Yep. That seems crazy to me. So, like, what do you think will be different? Because what I remember of the first original version is basically there was this guy who wanted to retro, he wanted to uh, terraform Earth into something that he could, ex- or his people could exist on or something. Like, he wanted to, it was like a twofold thing. Like, I think he wanted to destroy Earth just because he was a villain. He's like, eh, I hate you, Earthlings, you're all going to die. But he also wanted to, like, terraform it, right? Am I imagining that? Uh, yeah. What? No, you're not imagining. It. Okay. So there's, there's apocalypse, right? Mm-hmm. Or not? Sorry, not. Apocalypse is Marvel. God damn it! It. You're thinking of Dark Seed. Dark. Dark side. Dark. Side. Yeah. So there's Dark Side, and then there's this henchman. Uh, the guy with the the crown. I forget. It's like um, Wolf something. I believe. Oh, that's the cool CG guy from the trailer. Now, I was going to ask you about that, because I don't remember that guy looking that good in the first movie. No, they changed. Yep, they changed him. Okay, good, because I was going to say that didn't look familiar. I was thinking that might be new. Nah, dude, Snyder's coming in, and he, you know, like you said, 80% of the movie at least looks like it's changing. I don't remember a terrible amount of the movie, because like you said, it's almost four years old. Is that an exaggeration, or is it really four I years think old? It, I I really do. I think that my daughter wasn't born yet when I watched that movie. I'm pretty my sure. God. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure it was about four or five years old. Yeah, so bear with me here if I'm getting things wrong. But essentially, it just starts off with Batman, Ben Affleck, Fat Batman. Sorry, Ben, but it's true. <laughs> <laughs> it starts off with him like finding a mother box, which are these... Um, artifacts that Darkseid and his uh, army used to like uh, get all to make boom tubes essentially that teleport you all over the universe. These boom tubes are what that CGI. I'm forgetting it. It's like Wolfbane or or Steppenwolf. Steppenwolf. That's what it yeah. is. Yeah, Steppenwolf. So it's what he uses to get to Earth and his army to Earth. So Batman finds one of those and he investigates it and then he something happens and he gets a message from flash, which is from the future. And he gets, he has these visions about uh, a world that's been devastated by dark side. And so he puts the team together of wonder woman and, and cyborg and all those motherfuckers and Mm -hmm. Aquaman nonetheless. And that's what the original movie's about, but it's so edited. It's, it's edited so bad that it's, almost unwatchable and it was unwatchable everyone knows it and i mean that's where it gets such a bad reputation it's just such a bad movie yeah but just watching the trailer and seeing spoiler alert if you haven't seen the trailer it's weird to say spoiler about trailer because it was really good but at the very end the meme world gets the biggest satisfaction in the world by hearing Jaleo say we live in a society. <laughs> she just called him Jaleo. I love that. That's good. We're, keep, Jared, we're sticking to that. Jared Leto. Jaleo. <laughs> Jaleo. <laughs> but nonetheless, word, the meme society was 
satisfied nonetheless. <laughs> yeah. That was ne- he was never in Justice League, period. He and not wasn't only because that, I know I didn't see him. Joker and the Suicide Squad was completely different. So it's just that was the hype level after seeing the trailer and like that makes you it I mean it has to be at least a mediocre 4 hour movie at this point at least it can't yeah. be shitty at this point cuz what i've like seen it. is too good so so speaking speaking of that do you think that Jared Leto was the first choice or do you think they called Joaquin Phoenix first he said nah i'll pass and then they got Jared Leto which one because i yeah. think that they actually reached out to Jared Leto first and I think this this whole Snyder cut might be a submarine attempt to bring Snyder's vision of the DC universe back to the forefront because there's this weird back and forth going on in the news. I don't know how much you followed this, but I've been following all of uh, Snyder's interviews. So I haven't been following every news story about the Snyder cut by any stretch, but anytime there's an actual interview with him, I read it. And he's he's been saying very consistently, this is it. I'm never going to do another DC, not because I don't want to, but because they don't want to. This is it. They're, we are just a side story sort of thing that's only going to exist for itself, and it'll never be expanded upon ever again. But then you have quotes from people like Kevin Smith, who's like, well, I know he says that, but I, I know for sure that he has a plan for after this and it's all in the movie. And uh, like, there's these weird back and forth. And then there's interviews I think Kevin, with the I think Warner Kevin brothers chief right. too. The, yeah. the chick who runs Warner brothers movies or whatever. She was out there and she was like almost unprovoked. Like she had, like it was her mission to go out and say this publicly. It's like, we appreciate Jack, Zack Snyder, but this is what we call a movie cul-de-sac. It's going nowhere, and he is not a part of our future plans for, like, almost like she knows that this movie is going to kick ass and people are going to call for it, and she's trying to nip it in the bud before anyone can give yeah. it a shot. I think it's just, yeah, you're right. You're totally right, but... Uh, and that's why funny, he wouldn't want to bring Joaquin Phoenix in, too, because he's yeah, a part of the but- new... you sure and i mean back to your original point i mean i'll just cap what off what you said is money talks in the end you know Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what all these people that are in charge currently think if this movie makes buco bucks it's just that's just how it works it's that or the highway i guarantee you that people Mm -hmm. at the higher up people at the studios know that so if this movie does mediocre then what everything you just said is probably absolutely true, you know. But nonetheless, back to what you said with Joaquin Phoenix versus Jared Leto and stuff like that, it's kind of like a three part thing. One, I definitely think Jared Leto was the first to come to this new cut, and I the reason I say that is because the reason why Jared Leto was so pissed to begin with when Suicide Squad came out. And then the original Snyder cut never came out, you know, because he felt kind of robbed. You could feel the energy from the guy. Like, mm-hmm. it's just like, this is bullshit. Like, people just think I suck and they don't even know. That's where that famous quote comes from, where it's like, a lot of my content got cut. There's hours of footage you guys haven't seen. Yeah. You know, or it's, so I think what we saw at the end of that trailer was probably footage from a long time ago. I could be wrong, hmm. you know, but I think that's, I think that's old footage. 
for sure. But who be. knows? Second part is, is that I'm kind of worried that if that is not old footage and that is new Jared Leto footage, that that is eerily similar looking to Joaquin Phoenix's Joker, which means one of two things. Wait, you mean Heath Ledger, right? No. Joaquin you think that Phoenix he looks is. like Joaquin Phoenix's Joker? I thought he not absolutely. Me of... I'm saying oh. relatively compared to his su- Jared well, Leto's suicide suicide well, yeah. squad Joker. Compared to you that, everything he had longer hair. It was kind of raw, like Heath Ledger or Joaquin Phoenix's. Whatever, take your pick. The makeup was a little bit more raw. Unlike, I'm just saying Jared Leto's Suicide Squad Joker was a lot more refined and gangster looking. A lot more. Uh, pompadour i don't know just it just he cared a lot more about his image you could tell (laughs) but nonetheless one of these two things is true rather they have old footage of jared leto looking like that which means this is true to the vision or they changed that they went back and they said jared jared we want you to look more like heath ledger or more closer to uh, our time uh, Joaquin Phoenix's Joker, which makes me think one of two things again. They're just trying to make him look like something people like, or they're actually trying to connect those two universes, which is just going to convolute this fucking shit even more. And it's going to leave a stain. If this truly is the last movie and it does mediocre, it's going to leave a fucking stain on this shit because no one's ever going to know where this shit ever was going. You Mm -hmm. have Wonder Woman 1984. You have DC Black Label. You have uh, the Justice League mix. And I know there's one more I'm forgetting. There's something else that cuts a new timeline in this whole DC fiasco that I'm I mean, forgetting. Is it about. that like Batgirl video game that we talked about like six months ago? No, it's a movie. It's not that. It's a movie. But nonetheless. Hmm. We don't need to think about it too much. It's just like the, it's convoluted. Too. It's it's convoluted enough. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like right. so if it truly is the end, it's like, man, not only did you guys not leave it on a high note, you left it on the most shitty note possible. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, let's just let's do a little uh, crackpot speculation here. With everything that we know about this movie and what everyone's saying about it from both sides of the camp. Let's just say that this movie breaks every streaming record on the planet. Let's just say it is an unmitigated success. It is like the most popular DC movie of all time. Internet's ablaze about it, et cetera, et cetera. Just like best case scenario for Zack Snyder. Do you think that would change WB's mind and they'd just be like, all right, Snyder, this is your your cart to to steer now? Do you think they'll do that? Or do you think that this is more of a personal thing or a philosophy thing and it doesn't matter how much how popular this movie is they're not going to let him take over what do you think about that well i absolutely think they'll give him the green light if it's if it's a good movie yeah i think dc has not only snyder but james gunn now who's doing rebooting suicide squad and they have uh, david ayer who did uh joker all three of those people all three of those directors are kind of on the fringes of Hollywood. They're not, they're not these cow towing like directors, SJW, if you will, uh, Hollywood elites. Yeah. So 
you know, I don't think looking at Snyder through that particular lens is our focus that way is is quite right because if you have that logic with him, then they're gonna have to get rid of all the other two of their aces in the hole. You know? What, who okay, so you said David Ayer did Joker, but that's Todd Phillips as far as I'm, I'm sorry. I'm yeah, not David Ayer. Sorry. David Who's, Ayer was uh Tank or Fury, wasn't it? I forget. Who's David Ayer? The name sounds familiar, but I yeah. couldn't I knew I was getting it wrong, but I the okay. David Ayer popped in my head. But yeah, Todd Phillips. Okay. Nonetheless, guy did hangover, right? Yeah, he, he did, he's just he's not in the pr- the core of Hollywood right. What's now. he confirmed he's, for making right now for DC Joker Joker two? So that's a confirmed <laughs> thing. I think it's uh pretty much on the edge of rumor turning into unofficial trailer soon. Okay, all right. So <laughs> it's like know. it's a highly credible rumor. I okay. Interesting. It's one of those things so. where it's it's too good not to be true. Well, that could be like the you know the unstoppable uh, force versus the immovable object sort of thing. If the Snyder cut goes nuts because Joker went nuts too, Todd exactly. Phillips version. So like when they're like and saying, "Well, are you going to let Todd Phillips make the next Joker, or are you going to let Zack Snyder make it?" If that could be a real no, fucking whirlwind. No, I think they'll have their Triforce. Because, again, like I brought James Gunn up for a reason. He's outcasted by Marvel. DC picked him up. He's rebooting Suicide Squad. Everyone in Hollywood saying that movie is looking fucking awesome. He's bringing that galaxy, Guardians of the Galaxy, sorry, that Guardians of the Galaxy energy to the movie. I hope so. So, I mean, when you really, the reason why I brought them up is kind of like this trifecta is that if. Zack Snyder's movie ends up being great and you know you're when you're talking about this theory of even though it's great they'll still stifle it and uh, not let him move on I just I just don't think that's even in the cards for them or they would have fucking never allowed this to happen to begin with because they have Todd Phillips and James Gunn James Gunn being already a pop problematic quote-unquote toxic director if you will or writer and then they have todd phillips quote-unquote a toxic director or writer for hangover and i i'm not trying to diss him or anything but i don't know much else from him yeah the Uh, dc universe is looking very politically incorrect right now with the people doing its stuff (laughs) so if they were to do that you know they would have to do it across the board which i just i just don't think it's financially in the cards for them (laughs) interesting (laughs) unless they're looking at this uh coup <laughs> if you will eventually where james gunn and todd phillips gonna make one more movie and snyder gets to do his one more movie and everyone's like sweet i love dc dc is awesome now yeah and then they're like fuck all you guys get yeah. these get these uh these uh bipoc woman in here and some and some transgender directors maybe uh let's get uh the one of the wakowski sisters in here you know, and, <laughs> give and her that. a movie <laughs> yeah and, <laughs> and you know that all that fun stuff happens and <laughs> yeah well it's my not f- out the, the ballpark <laughs> my feeling is that we could be in for a very bloody civil war in the DC universe if the Snyder cut is really good. Now if it's okay, if it's average, I think it's going to just kind of, you know, walk into the sunset. But if it's just baller good, like just everyone's raving about it, 
I could see some real nasty infighting going on for the next couple years about who's going to take the reins of the DCU, which could be interesting. In fact, I, th- I kind of hope it happens just because I like the shakeup. Like, I like Todd Phillips. I kind of like Gunn, although he bothers me a little bit sometimes. He does. He troubles uh, me on a, a core soul level yes, a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. I've seen pictures of him that have scarred my soul that I'll never forget. And, uh, He's a great movie maker, though, so I forgive him. Yeah, he has that going for him. <laughs> he does. Diddling, yeah. potential diddling aside, <laughs> uh, yeah, but, he but, has that going for him. But uh, yeah, cha- cha- going back just to the movie itself, what? Do you, who do you think has a higher chance of being redeemed in this movie? Batfleck or Leto's Joker? Leto's Joker. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Mainly you know, just because of the trailer. <laughs> Ben's my boy. All right. The town. Great movie. He knocked it out of the fucking park. Let's be real here. It was an amazing movie. And he got a couple other, you know, more schlocky movies of recent. I forget what it was. He was in some elite sniper squad, ex military, and gets somebody killed and redemption story through a Nicaraguan fucking forest drug lord shit. I don't know what it was called, but it was some Netflix special type shit. It was good. It was good. You know, I love my boy Ben, but nonetheless, seeing that three seconds of Jared at the end of that trailer just made me, it it, it gave me Asgardian imbuement, you know, like I was like, whoa, now all of a sudden I understand. I, I see that Jared Leto was supposed to be far more. <laughs> it had totally different energy from his suicide squad. Dude, totally the white, different. The white fucking hospital gown or whatever it was with the SWAT vest and the AK just sitting on the cliff with just like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre makeup on, dude. <laughs> nah, dude. That was too fucking cool, man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you as well. I, I don't... I'm a huge hater on Batfleck. I always have been. I didn't like him in Batman versus Superman either. He's just not, he's just not good as Batman. It was a mistake, I think. And I think he knows that now too. I think think a younger Ben with it. I think a younger Ben would have been good. Younger Ben would have been good as Bruce Wayne, but I don't think he would have ever been good as Batman period. You might be right. I feel like if he was younger, he would have been able to get more in shape and more agile and made some cooler fight scenes and moves and stuff. But yeah, man, he just depressing is one word (laughs) to say. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It's also really hard to see Ben Affleck in a role like that when you have, first of all, Daredevil. Need I say more? You're right, man. Strike two. But even going beyond that, like he was in every Kevin Smith movie and his characters in all the Kevin Smith movies. It just like (laughs) it ruins any potential serious role with the exception of the town. That's like one of the only serious roles I've seen him in where I buy it. Like usually when I see him in a role that isn't comedic or goofy, I'm just like, nah, I can't. All I'm seeing right now is the Ben Affleck from the Kevin Smith movie, not from... What's that uh, one where he's trying to get the immigrants out of? Uh, he's like he's like an FBI agent faking to be a film, a foreign film director or something. Oh God! Uh, 
it's like a it's like a true story about is like that in the 70s or something like that i was thinking of gone girl but that's not what you're talking about is it no 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 no. god no okay. i don't i don't know how dare you <laughs> <laughs> you're not a fan of gone girl uh, I think that was based on a true story. That's why it popped. You're talking about that head. shitty Kevin Smith movie, right? <laughs> no, Gone Girl isn't a Kevin Smith movie. It it's isn't? like based on a book or something that I think was based on a real story. I don't know. Fuck who? I I'm just talking out my ass now. I could be wrong. Maybe about I'm thinking a Tusk. Who knows? Yeah. Well, well. Either way, uh, I think we're both not very optimistic about the future of Batfleck. So, I'm not well. Yeah, eh, you know. <laughs> I think the potential is here, though, seriously, for the worst comic book movie of all time becoming the best of all time. Do you think that's possible? Because I think most people who have seen Justice League all the way through, and I'm going to use a grain of salt with my opinion, because like I said, I fell asleep on the movie and I was drinking heavily when I watched it. So I don't have the most accurate memory of it, but I remember it really sucked. And everyone I talked to said it was the worst comic book movie they'd ever seen. Like it was, it was up there with like Iron Man two, like just really bad. Okay. For one, shut your fucking mouth. Iron Man two wasn't that bad. Don't compare it, (laughs) but it wasn't good. (laughs) I don't know. I like Mickey I, Rourke as much as the next guy, but that wasn't a great movie. <laughs> I'm just I, Iron Man is like my favorite OG comic character, so I just love all the movies, even the third one, which is trash. I'm still just like it's not bad. <laughs> yeah. Nonetheless, I like the third uh, one more than the second one, but I know that's a controversial opinion, and most people disagree. But I actually didn't think the third one was as bad as most people said. You know. I don't know. When you say the worst comic book movie, like I want to say, you know, you're right. And then I think about things like, you know, George Clooney's Batman. But then I'm like, that movie <sighs> had great jokes in hindsight. It was just it Arnold, was a ri- man. He saved that. Ri- <laughs> well, it was an original meme movie before memes were even yep. popular. You look at that movie and you'd be like bat nipples, bat, like, bat nipples. nipples. <laughs> we were talking about bat nipples and we were like laughing and loved it at the same time. We're like. We're not mad that it exists. And in fact, in hindsight, we're glad it exists. It's like a gag. It's like the movie equivalent of a gag gift. Right. Exactly. Perfect analogy. Right. But so I don't know. Like, I don't want to say it's the worst movie because then there's things like the original Suicide Squad, which I think is way more trash. I think Justice League, the original Justice League is just a tragedy. And I don't think Mm. we should really compare it, you know, because it's the shell of a movie, the husk of a movie that is now just starting to come out. Okay. Well, let me, let me reframe the question then because it's, it's very arguable. What is the worst and what is the best and all that? Let's just say, what do you think the odds are that after you watch the Snyder cut, that you are going to declare it the best comic book movie of all time? What do you think the <clears throat> odds of that happening are? Because what is your favorite of all time? If you had to pick right now, I think Iron I know Man what you're going to say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, me too. Iron Man 1, then probably closely following behind uh, would be Infinity War Part 1 in my book. But yeah, either way, it's highly, it's highly... That or Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> I, yeah, Thor Ragnarok's up there too, for sure. There, that one's pretty good. Yeah. I, what do you think, though? What are the odds? Like, how shocked would you be if you just finished that movie? You're like, holy fuck, that was the greatest comic book movie I've ever seen. What? Do you think? what give me I'll, a percent. What do you think the percent of you saying that is? I always hate giving direct answers. <laughs> Optimistic side, 
I'd say 60%. The pessimistic side would probably say 45%. (laughs) Interesting. That was a little bit higher than I expected. Yeah, that trailer does look good. I can see where you're coming from because I was blown away by that trailer. I'm like, this ain't the movie I remember falling asleep drunk watching. (laughs) It felt like a Snyder movie. Just the trailer. Right when you see Superman like calling like calling the thunderbolt down and the echo starting of his voice you're just like all right i'm getting some 300 vibes immediately just like the slow-mo here this this feels like snyder yeah so yeah well i'll say this for sure regardless of anything we've said so far i'm just really looking forward to seeing henry cavill superman some more because i thought that was done gone over with never gonna happen and i'm just gonna be watching the witcher from now on to see henry cavill in action I'm pretty psyched that he's coming back as Superman because he is, after Reeves, he is my favorite Superman. Not that there's many. Well, I was going to say, I'm like, you're not really. Reeves was pretty much like comparing The Undertaker to everybody else before fucking (laughs) Cavill came. All right. So it's not like you have much to choose from. It's a solid point. Uh, But like all those like lame DC TV shows that had different versions of Superman, like Smallville. And I think there are some others that I never watched. But yeah, that's true. The guy from Smallville deserves some credit. Yeah. There aren't too many Supermans, not nearly as many as there are Batmans, but I really liked Henry Cavill as Superman. I really liked Man of Steel because of him and because of uh, Zod. Yeah, yeah, that that was such like what a home run Zod. Like how that do you get duo. better? That was that was a, two great choices right there, no doubt. Michael Shannon and Henry Cavill together as Superman and Zod, yeah. they knocked it out of the park. Yeah. Well, all right, so. Final question before we move on to our review of Willy's Wonderland. Do you think we're going to see more Darkseed in the Snyder Cut? Like how Dark much Star. more? Well, I call him Darkseed. You can fucking get out of here. All right. I read comics. It starts side. Well, shut your I mouth. know you. I know you read comics and I used to read comics and I call him Darkseed. And that's what I've always how called him. That's what I will continue to call him. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of the amount we will see him because i think i don't remember ever seeing him in the original justice league i'm not sure if he was all in the second half or if he was just barely in it to begin with but do you think we're gonna have a lot more dark seat on our hands in this cut um i think we're gonna have a lot more compared to because i mean what we got like a we didn't even get any in the original cut right I don't At remember all? seeing him in the original cut. So I, I think there was a bonus sure. that was leaked like after the film release where we saw his face or some a CGI rendering of him oh, or something. God. Like was that. I forget. But if you're not counting that, I mean, I think we're probably going to get at least 15, 20 minutes of like him being on the screen and whether that's him in just this huge panning shot with an army are up close saying some words, I think yeah. all together, probably well, 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. And the trailer, we see a scene with him where, so, you know, he's in the movie in this cut. And I know that that scene was new. I don't remember seeing that in the original. I just wonder how much of that we're going to see if that was just like this one off or if we're going to get significant screen time for him, because after what they did, the apocalypse, 
we need Darkseed to to prosper. We cannot let them ruin him like they did Apocalypse. Yeah, I. Any, <laughs> I laugh every time I think of it. it. He's like my favorite X Men villain. He's one of my favorite it's comic so book sad. villains. He's a Why? joke. Why do I have to love things that just absolutely get bitch slapped by Hollywood? <laughs> you know, it's like anime and comics. They get no respect. All well, right? It's okay, because Olivia <laughs> Munn no is here. No fucking respect. And it is uncanny <laughs> how fucking much Olivia Munn looks like uh, shit. Uh, Psylocke? Psylocke. Is that her yeah. name? Yeah. Psylocke, yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, I mean, Olivia Munn has like that generic, like hot black haired girl look that kind of fits with Psylocke, like that sort of like dark. When I look at like Jane or uh, Jay Lee art X Men Psylocke or any iconic picture of Psylocke in a comic, right next to Olivia Munn Psylocke in the movie. It's crazy how much she looks like her. It's too bad she couldn't act to match the looks. <laughs> like, listen, all right, let's just end the conversation here. Don't you bad mouth my wife. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you know, on one hand, I'm really depressed about what's going to happen with X-Men under the mouse, the tyranny of the mouse. But then I look at like the past 10 years of what Fox did with X-Men. I'm like, it can't get worse, can it? Like they ruined Jean Grey, they ruined Apocalypse. <laughs> they never brought Gambit out of the cellar once. Like, Every it's time just you like, say Apocalypse, I just think of his, of him as walking out, <laughs> five foot three. <laughs> Every time, oh. dude, it kills me, dude, because I just think of this comic where. Fucking Wolverine picks his face up from a puddle and he's like, is there an earthquake happening? And looks up and sees Apocalypse towering <laughs> over him like a fucking be- uh, behemoth. I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we got. <laughs> I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure that uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that the Penguin from the original uh, Burton Batmans was about the same height as Apocalypse. <laughs> Maybe Apocalypse had an nah, inch dude. on him, but it was close. <laughs> that was, it's been confirmed now. That wasn't Apocalypse. That was Ivan Ooze. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. From the original Power Rangers, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie. <laughs> that is the greatest timeline. We need to make that canon right now. <laughs> It merged. It happened. <laughs> uh, all right, Broadcaster Nichols. On that note, do you give the Snyder Cut the thumbs up, the thumbs down, or... The dreaded side thumb. Thumbs up. I'll give it a fat thummy. Yeah. Yeah. That trailer was really good. And a lot of the time when we preview movies, I base a lot of my thumb score on the trailer itself. And this is the best example of that just being like too enthusiastic thumbs up. Like everything I saw in that trailer was great. The vibe was different. You talked about 300 earlier, like some of the the camera pans I was seeing in that trailer reminded me a little bit of 300. There's a lot of upside from that trailer that I'm feeling, not to mention what you're talking about with Joker at the end with the we live in a society meme coming to life. That was just like the cherry on top. I died. I died when I heard that. I was like, oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of death, there is a place of magic and wonder 
where death is prescribed by a man with sunglasses who never speaks. Broadcaster Nichols, are you ready to get to our review of Willie's Wonderland? It's my birthday. <laughs> I have a present for you, Broadcaster Nichols. Follow me to the super happy fun room. And we're back with our review of Kevin Lewis's Willie's Wonderland. And the creators of this movie describe it as the following. A quiet drifter is tricked into a janitorial job at the now-condemned Willie's Wonderland. The mundane tasks suddenly become an all-out fight for survival against the wave after wave of demonic animatronics. Fist fly kicks land. Titans clash, and the only side who will make it out alive is that of our hero, one motherfucking Nick Cage. Broadcaster Nichols, holy shit, there's a lot of production companies involved in this movie. Did you catch that intro? Yeah. Dude, <laughs> it, like when it got to the ninth one, I'm like, wait a second, this has to be a gag, right? Like this is a meme now. Like towards the end there, it just got so well, extravagant. I love my boy Nick, but going into any movie... You have to realize that he owe a lot of money. Okay. <laughs> so these people that do these movies, you know, they're first timers or people that aren't given a lot of shots anywhere else, you know, and a lot of people like to pile on on these endeavors, you know, so, especially when you got a high budget name like Nick Cage involved, who may or may not be Ghost Rider coming up here. So, mm, mm, so uh, just right hot out. Hot out the gates, broadcaster Nichols. Is Willie's Wonderland a Ghost Rider prequel? Go. Absolutely, 100% confirmed. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. First, folks. <laughs> and in the great tradition of the crack seller, I want to go right to the ending at the very beginning of the podcast. <laughs> uh, when it shows that final scene, it just it hones in on his glasses and you see the fire in the lens. <laughs> Was that not the most ghost rider thing you've ever seen that wasn't in ghost rider absolutely that's exactly it's funny you said that because that's exactly where i got the ghost spider vibe ghost rider vibes from it was the only scene in the movie where you're like oh that was kind of ghost riderish <laughs> it was on the nose man i couldn't believe it uh but uh holy shit man uh I love that movie. What about you? Were you surprised about how much you liked it? Because I was going yes. into it, seeing it as a meme movie. I thought it'd be entertaining for some chuckles, but it wasn't going to be on any top 10 lists or anything. I was blown away by how much I loved that movie. I I was riveted by it. I loved every aspect of it, except for a tiny, tiny, small few things, which we'll go into. But for like 99%, I thought that movie was just tits on fire everything was out of the park besides i would say the editing is the most glaring part of the movie there is a couple parts and it was mostly with the kids where there's a couple parts where you can see that the editor of the movie didn't quite go through it again to make sure everything was coherent because when uh, what's her name? The main female lead, uh, Liv, 
Well, let's go with this. We have good girl and bad girl. Let's let's go with those monikers. Good. Well, I like I like where you're going with this, but there's <laughs> there's a there's a bigger female lead than bad girl, so that kind of can can confuse potential viewers. Well, no, there's old the girl grandma. Count. Old girl doesn't count. Well, we have She's good girl, girl, bad girl, and old girl. Listen, I I love the significance you're putting on bad girl. Believe me, <laughs> I'm with you. All right, <laughs> but. <laughs> For respect's sakes, <laughs> the chick, the chainsaw massacre oh, wait, chick, wait, wait, old wait, lady. Hold on. Chick. This just in: broadcaster Nichols has gotten his blue check mark on Twitter. <laughs> Listen, I'm no simp, but <laughs> verified anyway, broadcaster Nichols. Go ahead. <laughs> but nonetheless, live. I forget what I was talking about. You got me confused. <laughs> all you got me all hot and bothered with the hot and bad girl. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna talk about uh, Liv, the good girl. But why was I talking about Liv? That is a great question that only you can answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got me all fucking. You got me turned around. <laughs> all right. Well, I'll, I'll just say this about the movie: it's as low budget as I thought it was going to be, but this is the most well acted well-directed well-orchestrated low-budget movie of all time this is up here with like no the doubt. original mortal Kombat movie which was also super low budget and also fucking awesome which is exactly where i'd put willie's wonderland like the the money was just put in all the right places and it was like, especially in the cage <laughs> for, first of all uh i want to go right in to a new segment i'm going to call the crackpot prediction hour. And it's actually only going to be about 30 seconds. And what we're going to talk about is the Hot fact take. that we, well, I called it, maybe you agreed with me. I don't remember if you agreed with me or not, but in our preview of this movie, I brought up the fact that I didn't think he was going to talk in this entire movie and that he was going to be you silent in the entire that. movie. You said that, dude. And you call that, that check, fact check true, broadcaster Nichols. He does not that utter was- a fucking word in this movie. That was a pretty good call. I won't lie. That was a solid call. And he does some of the How best acting he's ever that? done with no lines. How did you pick up on that? I don't know. It just, it just occurred to me when I was watching you just, the trailer. You're a connoisseur of the cage so much. <laughs> I have seen so, so many much, cage movies. So, so many, many movies. So many trailers. And you saw this one. And you're like, I didn't see a word. And I know mannerisms. <laughs> and I'm just going to say it right now. He's not going to speak a word. This is going to be a silent cage film. Yeah, it was. And it, it one of the, I'll just I say, call right you now, Negro Domus, dude. If I have a Nick Cage top 10, this movie is in it. This movie definitely is in my Nick Cage top 10 now, maybe higher, but I'd have to really think. I on think that at one. this point, there's a, there's a pre and post modern nick cage oh like dc and ad yeah yeah for sure for sure because it was ghost rider ghost rider was zero (laughs) ad i ran into this i ran into this one making the patented (laughs) 2.0 scale we're using right now nick cage scale system if you will yes well the money was put in all the right places for multiple reasons, as you just mentioned. Nick Cage is phenomenal in this movie, doesn't utter a line, but does more acting than a lot of people do in their movies with 150 lines. It <laughs> it was incredible to behold. 
I am such a Nick fan cage. I love the meme version of Nick, <laughs> Nick Cage. Fan. I love you the just, horror. Hold up. You just said Nick fan cage. <laughs> I'm such a Nick fan cage. Did I really say that? <laughs> yeah, I loved it. But okay. I loved every second of it, though. Well, it was, <laughs> it was appropriate. <laughs> this movie put me in the cage because I realized something about myself. I am a Nick Cage super fan. Like, I love this guy now. I, I've gone from him just being one of my favorite actors to really liking him to almost just thinking of him as like the messiah of Hollywood. Like he's standing on top of this mountain with a book and a golden aura saying, follow me, my child. I will show you cinema. You're I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think I was there a little bit before you, you know, I'm a little bit. uh you know, over the top with my my emotional connections to things. So I think I got there maybe a couple seconds before you. What you're saying to me is just you're you're quoting the Bible, right? Now, right. Because <laughs> the Bible I wrote a few weeks ago <laughs> with it. But but if I were to make an analogy of it, Nick Cage is like watching his movies is like watching a good anime battle, man. It's like you're just you have to. It's like a fine wine. You have to appreciate it, right? Outsiders was like this gay cartoon weeboo shit, okay? But if if you know like the Hunter X Hunter, like Cholo versus fucking Zardax, or I forget the I forget the family's <laughs> that name. That was some but, next level weeb quotage. I love it. You know, but it's just like those two you know, like when you when you see that high level fight, you're just like, This is chess. This is this is 4D chess right here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. And when you watch a Nick Cage movie like Willie's Wonderland. You're like, this is 4D fucking chess for Nick Cage right now, all right? People don't understand the level that Nick Cage is ascending to right now. <laughs> no, they don't. And I think that this movie could be a wake-up call to some of the people that just, like, they they refuse to watch Mandy, they refuse to watch The Color Out of Space, like, all these modern classics, these modern Nick Cage classics that we've been treated to over the last eight or so years they really started to things. build up, man, to the point where I think we're hitting critical mass with this movie because this movie has serious mainstream appeal to it. First of all, this movie is a straight up archetype of late 80s horror. It yep. isn't a late 80s horror, but it, it follows the exact archetype of how the story progresses, how the characters work. The story is high and tight. It's based Basically, it's like Scott Pilgrim versus the world meets Chucky, Child's Play. And yeah, it's like 80s and 90s horror. It really just has, well, like, okay, so let's let's go right to the good stuff here. What we both really want to talk about, and that would be the sex scene with Bad Girl. So at a certain point in this movie, Softcore. this movie, it's basically... You're de- when I say it's like 80s archetype horror, you can almost think about uh, Friday the 13th. So you have a bunch of kids that are basically trapped somewhere that are getting murked one by one. But you have Nick Cage thrown into the middle of it. Uh, it, it, it is that archetype, though. So like each each set of kids meets their death in a certain way. And it wraps the comedy into it in such a flawless perfect way that it reminds me of like uh the middle nightmare on elm streets as well 
So like Nightmare on Elm Street, originally just a straight up horror movie. But Nightmare on Elm Street pivoted into comedic horror towards the middle of its run. And that is a lot what this reminds me of with like the just over the top cartoony uh, Nick Cage fights with these animatronic demons. Basically, when I compared it to Chucky, it's because it's the exact same thing. Uh, In Chucky, this serial killer murderer was did a satanic ritual to put himself into a doll. And that's like a group of Chucky's basically do the exact same thing to the Chuck E. Cheese uh, animatronic things. So basically the same thing. But it does it in a way that just perfectly intertwines itself with like more modern takes on the way horror and comedy go like Cabin in the Woods style. Like Cabin in the Woods was a horror movie, but it was high on the comedy. And I feel like this is a sort of evolution of that style of just continuing that old school vibe from the 80s, but in this new way. For sure. I mean, Nick Cage just has this way, man. I mean, he can just. He can just turn anything he touches into gold. It just Mm. has to have. This movie is just a good example of everything coming together. To be honest, it just none of the actors were bad enough to weigh down the film. There wasn't one actor where I was like, God damn, like I was thinking about them at all. The story was solid. It was hokey, but it was it was a good hokey. They and had that's how all great... those 80s horror movies were. They had yeah. hokey storylines that were solid, but hokey. Yeah, it just it, there's not a real if you were to put a finger on any weak link in the movie, it's not that bad. You know, it's just, it's a, it's a solid film. It It is is a solid fucking film. Yeah. And and it surprises me to no end that with, after watching (laughs) jujitsu, I was like, okay, Nick, you're willing to dive deep to get some money. I get it. All right. You owe some money. My boy owes some money. He needs to write a couple checks. But jujitsu sucked loose butthole. <laughs> loose, loose butthole. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and not a good movie. <laughs> no. So going into Willy's Wonderland, I was like, I don't know. Yeah. And I was quickly, quickly corrected. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, just to kind of circle back to what I was originally talking about with a bad girl and her sex scene. So if you watch Friday the 13th, you know all about the archetype that this movie is based on. You have the set of kids. You'll see Kid A here. Oh, something happens. Jason shows up, murders Kid A. Then we go to you know Kid B and C. They're hanging out here. Something happens. Oh, no, Jason shows up, kills him. You have that same thing going, but the meme of the 80s horror movies was always the nudity. There was always a late teenage, early college year sex scene where the, there'd be a hot chick with her tits out and a lot of blood and murder. That yep. happened in every single classic classic blood on the tits yes. scene like dude. yes it happens so stereotypically it's a it, meme it is a straight it, up meme but it was good it was good it was good and they Maybe sort good. of brought it back in this movie again it's modernized in the fact that she's wearing a bra and 
I think that's a mistake. I think that they wanted to ha- keep the rating. What was it rated PG thirteen or is it rated R? Do you know that for a fact? I don't know. It probably was not rated R just because there's no nudity. Yeah, the, the no nudity thing because it just didn't fit. Because you see that scene and you immediately know what you're watching. Like this is like the scene right before Jason comes through the fucking uh, the dark side of the room and just kills the girl as she's having sex with the guy in the cabin on Camp Crystal Lake. Like it's that sort of scene, but she just has a bra on and it's like a PG thirteen version. Yeah. Of it. Well, I think I like the spirit, correct- but I think they should have gone all the way. Yeah. And I agree with you on a personal level, but to correct you a little bit, I think it's uh, it is the equivalent, the modern day equivalent, because yes. that shit just don't fly anymore yep. with like topless scenes anymore. Yep. It was as far as they could take it without doing a full blown hokey sex scene and making the movie a B grade movie instead of more mainstream. Yeah, and they're trying to get mainstream it, appeal. Yeah. I think I think that's what and, this movie was yeah. trying to do. No doubt. In my own my own personal opinion, I would have just got rid of the sex scene. And turn that into like a high tense scene, sexual scene, then them getting killed off. I just wouldn't have had the sex scene period because there's no nudity. So there's just no appeal on either end. It's rather you go full sex scene and show some hokey porn or nudity or whatever and get those fans that whatever exist or you don't do it at all. And just kind of have that like fine line, high tense. Well, I think scene. you do it and you show the tits. I think that's what yeah. you do. And I think it's I guess that's my biggest criticism of the movie. I'm disappointed I didn't see tits. That's yeah. bad girl. I I need it. You know, if you do porno, I won't be disappointed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bad girl was uh, a nice piece of ass. And I also love the scene where she starts climbing the ladder and all of the dudes <laughs> run to the ladder to try to look up her skirt. That was that was also classic homeboys. Homeboys just like everyone just back up, okay? <laughs> I love that, and I also loved the fucking soundtrack, dude. Did you notice how good the soundtrack in this movie was? Two specific tracks were out of the park. The main, the main theme park theme when he's playing the the pinball table. Yep, and then the other one. Uh, the final it, boss music, it, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. A, a couple cuts of it play earlier, but then the full part plays at the end. Yeah. It, I feel like movie soundtracks are kind of in this weird dark age right now. I feel like most movie soundtracks suck. And this one was a breath of fresh air. It totally had like the the early 90s video game vibes going with the soundtrack. <laughs> And what about like the weird general like weird no name soda pop punch pop that's what it was called <laughs> punch was, energy drink yeah dude, it it was kind of weird because when you if you look into it a little bit at the can it looks like a can with a label wrapped over it and you're just like okay is this some B grade budget effects or is this like some you know like like 
um, fourth wall joke where it's like, this is a dude who's drinking and driving and wrapping energy drink labels over his beer. <laughs> like, what, what's going on? I, I love it. There's a crackpot theory for the crack seller right there. It was actually booze. <laughs> but when the pinball table came up, right? When he finally spent all the time on the pinball table, I've no, I, I've hung out at pinball bars a lot. It's kind of a thing I did for a few years. And I know those people. And those are the type of people that do that type of shit. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> I was like, man, is Nick Cage like really studying his role right now? Or did the director like tell him about this type of person and he's really embracing it? I'm not quite sure. <laughs> yeah, that could be. I didn't get that from it the vibe I got is that that was honest to goodness supposed to be an energy drink. And it kind of plays into the whole way that the movie is formed in which Nick Cage is using a stopwatch the entire movie. And at every interval, he drops whatever he's doing. And I do mean anything he's doing. And he He runs for that energy drink. (laughs) (laughs) And he starts, he chugs energy drink and he's either working on the pinball machine or then once it's fixed, he's playing the pinball machine. It's like this hero's journey intermission of the progression of caffeine intake and pinball progression it was one of the most nerdy, crazy things I've ever seen. One of the many reasons I love this fucking movie. Yeah, I won't lie. I think it is the number one reason I love this movie so much. I really related with how he just dropped everything yep. for the energy <laughs> and the one task. He was just like, oh, especially when, so the foreshadowing, he takes that switch. When he first meets the chick, he's just like, what, what are you doing, little girl? Give me that switchblade. Okay. <laughs> he doesn't say anything, just takes it, leaves. And then when she's in danger and the stopwatch starts going, he's like, oh. Well, you can Reaches into his pocket. <laughs> All right, well, here's the switchblade. Good luck. <laughs> and then he just goes back to drinking his soda and fucking playing pinball. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was legendary. Uh, also, the fight scenes in general were just legendary. And it, I think the best one was the first one with the ostrich. What do you yeah. think? What's your favorite fight scene? The ostrich with, okay. The, my favorite fight scene with Nick Cage. Well, no, yeah. Nick Cage versus animatronic beast. Yeah. What's your favorite? The ostrich for sure. Yeah. It was tight, man. <laughs> it was, and it, it had was the, the fucking, well it had the Kano fatality too. Exactly. I was just about to out, say man. that. The fucking MK fatality with <laughs> the spinal so, rip. Dude. Subs Euro just fucking quarrel. <laughs> and they're all like that too. Like the one with the ape in the bathroom, he does the fucking toilet curb stomp fatality on him. I have a question for you though. Who is your favorite animatronic? Mm. Now that's a tough one. I'll give you mine. I'm just okay. Yeah, you go first. I'll let you go first. Tito, Tito the turtle <laughs> was mine, just because he spoke in Spanish the whole time, oh. and he sounded like a straight anime villain when he first spoke. Undunde, I was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> I died, dude. I was, I was, was laughing so hard. <laughs> Yeah, and, and he also was the last one to die, too. When, after he goes Ghost Rider, he runs him over in the final <laughs> yep. scene. He's, he's the lingering one. Yeah, well, there were two lingerers, but yeah, we'll get into the other one. He's the final lingerer. A little later, yeah. <laughs> My favorite 
of the animatronics, I think, was actually the crocodile. Because I loved the scene with Good Girl sneaking in through the ducks mm. and and Crocodile showing up and the way that like he chased her to the, the duct entrance to Pixie's little forest or whatever the fuck that was. And yeah. like it, it showed you this view of him like sort of like chomping outside the grate and then just like slowly backing off in this like really sinister way and disappearing into the duct. That to me, that is like the definition of horror. I love shit like that. You actually describe something really well done with the direction of the movie. When good girl is live is going through the ducks and runs into the alligator because these kids are describing like they know what's in the park already. And they, and she goes in alone knowing the dangers and she's going to the ducks. And then she runs into the alligator um, animatronic. And then she falls into the fairy a Tinkerbell animatronics area. That's a really good direction in the art too, because she's like, it's almost like a, uh, an RPG or, or like playing a resident evil game or you know? a Gilmo del Toro movie. True. Like Pan's labyrinth True. a little it's bit. Just, yeah. it's, it's just a really good example of, uh, not only direction, but the aesthetic or the environment using the environment to, to um, illustrate a clear direction of the environment and the storyline. Like I'm sneaking in through this duck and I fall into the fairy uh, animatronics area with the first, you know, it gives you this idea almost like Zelda when you fall, yeah. like when you see a temple, you know, like, Oh, there's, there's the fire uh, boss, you know, it's, yeah. I love seeing that type of stuff and it was really well done. Yeah, one of the pitfalls of video game based movies is the lack of a progression system. And it really hurts the vibe of bringing a video game into the movie spectrum because what makes a video game what it is is almost entirely the progression of the game itself. Absolutely. And Zelda, like you brought up, is one of the perfect examples of that. Zelda has some of the most tight progression in the history of video games, like the older ones especially. The newer ones are a little different, but you take Link to the Past, games like that, where it's just like there is this progression where you're going to fall into a crack in the temple and you're going to fall a floor down onto a platform that wasn't available when you were at that floor before. And that's sort of the way it felt when she was chased and that ducked by the crocodile guy into the, the fairy's little forest. It had that yeah. sort of vibe to it. And this movie does that at every turn perfectly. Yeah. And that no turning back vibe too, you know, cause yeah. like as soon as you fall out of the duck, like the alligator animatronic mouth comes out of the duct end, and like, it's like dripping this, the oil or whatever. Mm -hmm. And she's like, well, I'm not going back in there, you know? So it's like, it's, it's just like one of those classic video games, you know, where it's like, well, I can't go back the way I came in, you know, like I got to face this journey type of thing. It, it's, it's the progression is really well done. It's, it's very illustrative. It is. And, uh, the just kind of sticking with the kids a little bit. What did you think about the B story of this movie, which is basically good girl's journey? So basically the two main characters are the janitor, Nick cage and good girl. Yeah. Uh, the B story is basically good girl, which starts with her getting locked onto a pipe with handcuffs by the local, uh, cop chief. 
aka old woman uh grandma <laughs> whoever you want to call her you and, sound like uh, a texas bigot right now all the female <laughs> characters are good girl bad girl old girl <laughs> well nick cage is the janitor so it's, it's there's the nick here. cage that's the only name you know nick cage <laughs> <laughs> but when i first saw this beginning to good girls uh part of the story i was kind of uh, I was starting to get worried. I was like, I hope that they don't ruin this movie by focusing too much on her and her little high school friends and all this stuff, which usually annoys me. Because, let's face it, the portrayal of high school students sucks now. This is not Porky's. This is not Summer Vacation. This is not all of the great teenage portrayals of the 80s that actually teenagers were cool. No shit. Now teenagers... And actually do. Yeah, now teenagers this are, day. are little bitches. <laughs> And they Let's don't not do get shit. it wrong. Teenagers didn't change or anything. They still do the exact same things they were doing in the 80s. But for some reason, yeah. we want to pretend. That- yeah. Yeah. So, so the modern portrayal of teenagers is basically Glee. That the fucking reality TV show or yeah, whatever everyone the fuck that does is. sing-alongs and jokes and yeah, is yeah. actually pent up. Yeah. And so whenever I see something like this in a movie, I immediately go to like, oh, fuck, I'm going to have to sit here and listen to a bunch of bullshit with dumb teenagers from the cast of Glee talking about their big problems with, oh, will I be selected for whatever? Does my boyfriend like me? Or am I? It's just, you think that's going to happen. But instead, the B story with the kids was exactly like a horror movie from the 80s. Like, it starts off with this, like, sort of mystery, like, why would this cop, you know, put her on this thing and lock her in a trailer and just leave her like that? That's not something a cop would do. You know, they rescue her, you have your little banter, and they go on their little anti-horror villain journey, which is super... The way that they did it, it was just really true to form. Like, they didn't go too far with it. They kept it very strict to the confinement of the movie. It's all them going to this place, trying to set it on fire, realizing the janitor's in there. Good girl says, hey, I'm not going to burn someone alive, so we're going to go in there and save him. And it just sets this whole thing into motion perfectly with the whole there is no turning back thing that you brought up earlier, which is so important. There isn't like a whole bunch of exposition with these kids. It's like they show up, they do something quick. Bye, kids. Back to Nick Cage for a while. Kids come back up. They're doing something very specific. It ends. Bye-bye, kids. Back to Nick Cage. Like there's no fluff or filler or like really reaching to try and give the kids more screen time for no reason. And I think that's one of the main pillars of this movie's success. And I also think it's going to bring this movie to the mainstream with kids. I think that when kids see this movie today, it's going to be just like when I was seven years old and watched, you know, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors for the first time. It's going to be that sort of vibe. I hope so. I I hope you're right, bro. I do. I I would love to see Nick Cage appreciated by a younger generation. That would bring, that would tickle my heart so much <laughs> that I would be happy dying at this point. I'd be like, you know what? Hell yeah. People like Nick Cage. I'm all right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and honestly, I'm going to say right now that so, so one, there's, there's two girls, there's good girl and bad girl. And then there's three guys. There's the boyfriend of bad girl. There's the beta orbiter of good girl. And then there's just like this fifth dude who's kind of just there to make fun of the beta orbiter. 
he dies really early. He, <laughs> he dies the first, the first death. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> surprising yeah. too because i was i was looking for deaths but i was like really mm-hmm. <laughs> and what i really another i feel like i'm gushing about this movie too much but i'm really serious about this aspect of it again sticking with the 80s horror vibes each character was killed off in a way that fits their personality flaws so bad girl and her boyfriend get murked while they're fucking in the in the satanic ritual room where all the murderers killed themselves to become the animatronic demons. So again, it, it's just like an 80s horror movie. Which like, they know. Oh, yeah, they do know. As characters, they know. Yes. <laughs> and that's so in line with that. And it's just perfect. A uh, beta cuck guy dies exactly you'd think. He gets duped by a female animatronic that's just saying the most dumb bullshit lines to get him to come out and expose himself. And he falls for it. And it's just perfect with his character. Like everything about the way that all these kids die. It, Spoiler alert, except for Good Girl, who ends up riding into the sunset with uh, Nick Cage. Questionable age. <laughs> nah, they, I mean, they're, well, I mean, if you're going to say, like, within the confines of the movie, yes, but the actresses involved are in their 20s, so it's not like. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, this is, we're not, <laughs> yeah. But um, I just really think that they nailed it. With the way they portrayed these kids, the way they brought them in as 80s horror kids, the way that they kept in that theme with all the ways in which they were murdered, except for the first guy who basically just gets like ambushed by ghost and goblins, dude. It's the coolest fucking death. Let's be real here. Yeah, his was like the most shocking, too, because he didn't really none of the death really started at that point yet, other than Nick Cage killing others. None of like people people dying didn't start till this guy dies. And it's very out this, of nowhere good shocking this, moment this actually brings me to a good point and it's probably my biggest like gripe with the whole movie is the editing like it started in the bathroom stalls with nick cage you know when mm-hmm. the gorilla comes down it's a great scene i love it don't get me wrong all the scenes are awesome in my opinion but there's just like the editing is so terrible in some parts like uh when he opens the fourth bathroom stall and the gorilla attacks him how am I supposed to believe that there's no floor tile or ceiling tiles broken? So he didn't come from the ceiling. Mm-hmm. He wasn't in the stall. He clearly wasn't in the fucking bathroom. Where did he come from? He just <laughs> appeared out of it. Like he came he, like when you watch the scene over, he came from the ceiling. But it's just like there's things well, where you're just like, man, I can see that you had multiple takes of the scene or multiple ideas of the scene and you cut it together to make it work, which I commend you. But at the same time, you guys like, and that's not the only scene like where the ghost and goblin stabs that dude, that boy in the back. It's like, there was no, uh, foreshadowing where like that, even that dude was in the background on the stage, you know, he didn't move at all. There was no like quick cut where it showed like first person view of an animatronic sneaking around or making a noise or it's a specific style of editing. Yeah. And it's, and it is a very common one in horror movies. Yeah. It's just so jarring. It was, 
It was a, uh, what was what the they other? expect you to do is to suspend disbelief in that case because, like, their argument would be if, like, you were talking to the director right now, yeah, I'd say, oh, wait a second, you're dealing with supernatural animatronic yeah, yeah. demons. Why yeah. do you not think they can't teleport or whatever? That would be their argument. I kind of agree with you on one hand. I'm not a huge fan of that style. I'm much more a fan of – have you seen Hereditary? Hmm. Sounds familiar, but I don't think it's a horror movie that came out a few years ago. Well, like there's this scene in Hereditary where like the way that they edit it and cut that movie is you'd be in the scene where nothing nothing's wrong. But like you have this person who's like just kind of the focus of the scene and it starts on them and then it'll like slowly pan and it'll slowly pan and like it'll slowly pan up towards the ceiling. And eventually the camera will get to a point of the ceiling where you see like a demon hanging on the wall like a spider. And you see them there, and then they move. I like that style of horror much more than the style where it's like, they just pop out at you, and they're just there, and there's no foreshadowing. Like, well, You should watch Hereditary, by the way. That's a great horror movie. For sure. I mean, it's one thing to have something pop out on you. The main gripe is, is at that particular point in time when that guy dies, you've never seen that animatronic. There no. was no established scene with him. It's just he like, was the wild here card, I, wasn't he? yeah, he's like, here I am behind you with this giant fucking buster sword. I'm just going to stab you through. It's, you know, it's like there was not even a smoking gun at any point before that. There was no showing the sword. There was no showing the animatronic. There was no showing like the importance of that dude's character. It was just kind of like sword through the chest by a dude you've never seen before. And I think that's the jarring part. Like that's like the editing part that kind of kills me where it's like, cause you know that the way these movies are filmed, they film so many scenes and they know everything's connected. It's just their job to like make the viewer realize how things are connected. And that in particular editing, it's like you, they never really told the viewer what that animatronic was they never showed that animatronic they were just like this guy dies from this animatronic and that's it yeah and then the animatronic dies and it's just like you know i'm not looking for character depth i'm not looking for some character building arc for that animatronic but at the same time have like i don't know a minute dedicate 60 (laughs) seconds to foreshadowing that animatronic that's about to kill that character off that you clearly paid a good amount of money in this film to be a part of, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And and another weird thing about uh, the ghost and goblins animatronic while we're on the subject is I think he's the only one that doesn't shit talk. I think all the other ones shit talk, right? Except for him. He is the only silent one. Yeah, I think so. I'm pretty sure he's the only one that doesn't say a word. Yeah, it was it was interesting. It seemed like he was almost tacked on at the end, but I appreciated his scene so much. Just like the the kill he did on that kid by, was like probably the most reminiscent. Like it literally was like Jason stabbing the machete through the chest, it, just like it's a the, Friday the it's 13th. It's the F-class kill for yeah. sure. He had the assassin killed. But you're right that he is never established. And he, it's almost like he just came out of nowhere in the movie, then dies immediately. And like, there's no real. But same thing with even like, again, it's just not it's none of the content is bad. It's the editing alligator. For instance, that one scene, we go back to the, the ducks, you know. 
None of the animatronics are established at that point. I get it. You're supposed to, you're just, it's at the mysterious stage at that point, right? You're wondering what the scare is going to be. And the alligator is the first one, but it's just like, why is the alligator in the ducks? There's no, none of the points did it show like an, a first person view of like the alligator becoming aware or any of the animatronics becoming aware, realizing the girl was in the duck. None of that. There was no, con- not even the slice minutia, right? Of like awareness. It's just like, here's the alligator. <laughs> it's super fast. It crawls through the ducks. <laughs> it's, you know, there's just some editing. The same thing with the gorilla. You know, that's why I brought up the gorilla. It's, it's just weird, jarring editing in the movie that kind of drags it down a little. I think it's the worst part of the movie. It's mm. just the editing in general. There's just, some parts where you're like, especially the kids, you know, like the trailer, the where the the good girl live gets put in the trailer by old girl, which I don't know her character's name. But it's just like you're clear. The dialogue is clearly getting you to try to think that like, oh, there's some rapport with these characters. It's not till three quarters of the film till they explain why live and old girl are important to each other. You know, yeah, and, <laughs> so and, it, it's poor editing because I know those well, all those scenes are there, right? It's it's their choice to like kind of illustrate or like to explain to the viewer what's important first and what comes second. Well, you you're know? actually talking about direction and editing the way yeah. that you're talking about it, and it's a it's a specific style, and I think that you just really don't like that style, which is fair. Everyone has, like, their specific ones. It doesn't bother me as much as it bothers you. I've seen it in a lot of different horror movies, but it's not my favorite style either. So I, w- I will definitely agree with you that... It's like time skipping. It's like the day before. It's like, fuck you! Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to... No, no, we're not doing this. <laughs> yeah, one of the things that I dislike the most about this movie's uh, direction, I guess, would be the the flashbacks that were narrated by characters in the current time. So we have one with good girl, and then we have one with old girl in the car with like that Renacop deputy guy. Yeah, uh, I didn't like the characters. way <laughs> I didn't like the way that they framed that, especially the first one with good girl. It felt really cheesy her delivery of the lines just felt really like it didn't fit with the rest of the movie. It also didn't fit with the scene, like why you would be telling him this right now in this situation when you're like literally your life's at stake and you're surrounded by demonic animatronic demons. And you're like taking this, this five minute break to fucking tell him like this campfire story about how everything started. It seems more like something you talk to him about in the aftermath. Like once you're in the car with him jetting to the motel, like where you're about to get banged by Nick Cage, like you think you'd be telling him about it then, like in like the the pre glow. No doubt. But instead, I mean, I, don't I you you lost me. But I mean, like I agree with you with Nick Cage <laughs> taking her back to the hotel. Like it's a solid <laughs> move. It's solid. <laughs> I just don't. I just don't think that it, it fit with the movie and like the way the the pacing was outside of the flashbacks. It just felt really inserted and a little jarring. I didn't like that. But it was so quick and over with so fast that it doesn't bother me that much. It didn't really take much away because they were very brief with the backstory. They, 
you know, they had like a collection of scenes with like these Chimo looking serial killers that are dressing in the suits and killing the kids, bringing them back to the, the super happy fun room, which by the way, is the best thing that comes out of that preamble. That whole backstory is, well, they'd take an unsuspecting family back to the super happy fun room. And I'm just like, wait a yeah, second. I was just like, that was the backstory is, is that it's just another family. I was like, damn, dude, they were working multiple families with this routine. Like no one picked up on it to like, like, I mean, how many families went down like eight, 10. They were like, Everybody in the town, the sheriff in the town was like, you know what? I think something's up here. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? I did like the the portrayal of the adults, like the cowardice of adults. Like that was another theme with old school horror movies. That it, there was always like this level of cowardice with all the adults. Like they'd never face what was happening to their kids. And they'd always kind of pretend like it wasn't happening. And no, no stronger example than uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, which we've been talking about before that's sort of like a an undercurrent to Nightmare on Elm Street is that the parents like don't want to admit it because they don't want to admit what they did to this guy that made him into Freddy Krueger and like it's like this big conspiracy and secret huge huge vein in this movie as well like the exact same type of storytelling where all the adults are kind of in on this conspiracy theory to like appease these demons and kind of bury it under a bridge and pretend like it doesn't exist except for this one day of the year where they trick some poor fuckers with the the tire strip that you know for sure there's a very specific formula to this movie and i think it adheres to it to a t and I really appreciate that. I also I really appreciate yeah. the dramatic standoff shots between Nick Cage and Willie that start. They start with the beginning <laughs> of the movie with the sign on the building where it just shows him kind of like adjust his glasses and stare at Willie and then shows the shakedown, dude. Just the, the shakedown at the beginning is <laughs> just like, I'm eyeing you, motherfucker. I'm going to take you down at the end of this movie. <laughs> and it continues. There's like four scenes where like he'll kill one of them and then he'll stare at Willie. And that Willie will stare at him and it'll just Dude, be this every dramatic time he bags and tags a motherfucker, he looks at him and he says, like, another one down, Willie, when you up. That again, another just brilliant stroke with this movie. Like that that meme in this movie was excellent and I enjoyed every you, moment of it. When he waves that shirt, he's like he comes out the door at daylight and just throwing a fucking animatronic at the trash, the Tinkerbell chick, foreshadowing, quote unquote. <laughs> but he just like waves the sheriff. And she's just like, son of a bitch. <laughs> I loved it, dude. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, it, it was really good. Uh, what did you think, though, about the when they fall through the ceiling? Because I thought that was the most comically absurd part yeah. of this movie. It was First the hoax. It's like what I, like I said at the beginning of this podcast, the Resident Evil style yeah. trope you know yeah. it's like leon falling through the ceiling <laughs> well i guess i gotta look for the president's daughter another day <laughs> you know like it's just one of those moves you know <laughs> yeah i the the setup for it was kind of hilarious because it was basically a bad girl's boyfriend basically saying, yo, beta orbiter bitch, you're not going to be able to get this girl by kissing her ass all the time. I'm oh, out. And he drops the mic, right? And beta <laughs> orbiter like becomes like enraged with his swollen amygdala and just like tries to tackle <laughs> this motherfucker. And 
dude like it's so comical the way they fall through the ceiling it's like it's like the boyfriend was standing on a thin piece of like three eighth inch drywall with absolutely nothing else and just the weight of both of them being on the square just makes it collapse. And as you see everyone fall into the ball pit, it shows like the ceiling debris fall down. And it's literally just a couple pieces of thin drywall, just like you would expect. <laughs> so it's like, are we supposed I know, to it's believe? Like, how did they even get over that fucking thing? <laughs> so so it's like, at first. There's eight of you on the fucking <laughs> roof. <laughs> it's like, so at first, two steps. <laughs> At first, you just want to be like, oh, well, it's just it's just really cheesy, corny shit where it's like it's unbelievable. But then it's like, well, wait a second. They confirm the the actual thing that would have to be true for this to happen to happen. Right. So when they fall down and they, they don't show a bunch of beams of wood falling down. They show a couple of thin strips of drywall falling down. So they're literally saying, hey, you know how in your head you were just racking your brain to how you could possibly fall through a ceiling like that? Guess what? We just confirmed that's true. You can't make fun of us. That's It's almost like that's what they're trying to do with it. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like a, it's the equivalent of plot armor for the director and the writer. Hanging a lantern on it, yeah. Yeah, hanging a lantern on it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're like, we're we warded our shit, all right? Like, you can't come at us. Oh, <laughs> uh, and, and speaking of the beta orbiter, I think we just gotta give a few moments to that fight scene. Was that was that not just one of the greatest moments of the movie? That whole scene. You don't know when that boy gets his neck broken, dude. It was so perfect. Like I, I saw it coming from a mile away. Usually in a movie, I'm, I'm super surprised by that moment, and I'm like, you know what, fucking a, good for you guys. You fucking subverted me. I love you, but this time I was like, you know what, you guys are so cool. I'm already picking up on your coolness. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like. <laughs> 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 so, so when his true. neck broken i was like i saw that come from my way but i still respect it <laughs> what i loved about that scene the most is the escalation so like the <laughs> first part of the scene is super slow it's like her giving like this little fake speech like you can sense the good in me you trust me you know i'm different from the others blah blah yeah, blah it's like and watching adult goosebumps yeah real bad. <laughs> and, and you know the guy like like the total beta orbiter cuck he is like it takes 10 seconds for him to just become convinced that this evil robot is like his he's, friend he's still <laughs> suffering from swollen amygdala <laughs> and i loved how he gets up he reveals himself to her and then the girl that he's beta orbiting shows up and this is the part I love about it, the escalation from here. So it's like slow, 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 slow. Oh, hey, guess what? This one's different. We're going to help her. Neck break snap. Hey, bitch, you want to play? Like, yeah. that was so good. Like, it was end scene. It was just like, <laughs> no, nah, we're not having this connection. End scene, next scene. <laughs> you know, I loved it. I loved it. It was really respecting the viewer. Yes, yes. <laughs> This movie's full of moments like that where it respects the viewer. And uh, what'd you think? I mean, we already talked about the ending a bit, 
But overall, uh, what did you think about this ending? Because I think horror movie endings are usually better than the average movie ending. I think that horror movies usually have good endings. Most of them do. I think that's one of the features of a horror movie is that they usually have great endings. This movie was no different in my opinion. I loved the ending. What did you think about it? Oh, I loved the ending too. <laughs> this movie did not... If you were thinking of a well-fortified fortress, right? <laughs> All four walls. Strong. <laughs> ceiling. Strong. Well, I mean, metaphorically, the ceiling was strong. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but... I mean, I was I was really waiting for a, a part in this movie to say, "All right, this is the B grade moment," mm-hmm. you know. But this is this movie has all the hallmarks of a of a triple A budget horror comedy, but with a budget of I don't know, very low. Like a B, I don't want to say a B movie because it's not like they could afford Nick Cage, obviously, and Freebird. And it wasn't. I was surprised when Freebird started playing. Good point. I didn't. I forgot about that. But yes, Nick Cage and least Freebird. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Kapow. (laughs) Kakao. Yeah, you're right. That that's just not. That's not B grade quality, right? No, they they just inked every dollar out of this budget and just turned it into gold. I think you said it at the beginning of the podcast. Well spent, every dollar well spent. Yeah, and uh, so I guess the the ending is this. There's there's two parts to the ending. First of all, it's Tex and the mechanic showing up. With the mechanic being like, yo, dog, here's your sick-ass car from the dead uh, janitor in there that you get to keep. Because, of course, he's in there dead, <laughs> obviously, you know. And Tex is like, yeah, always good to put one new one in my collection. And then <laughs> and then he's like, well, are you going to come with me and check the body? He's like, no, I'm not going there. Fuck that. And he calls him a little bitch, which I like. That was a cool little moment. <laughs> And he goes in and he just finds Nick Cage just dressed perfectly, great condition, the whole place perfectly clean, like Mr. Love Miyagi that look style. He gives them too when he comes out the door, he just looks at me, he's just like mm. <laughs> And and the dude is just befuddled to the point where it's like he knows not what to do other than just to hand that man his keys. That's what he does. It's like the cage gets his keys, just walks out. The quick change of heart, though. He goes from, like, being fucked to, like, going outside, and he's just like, well, damn, it's over. That's one tough ombre. It was almost like watching uh, Boss Hog and his fucking associate. I forget his name. But but just thinking they got done, they got over on the Duke boys, and then they, like, they realized that it was all a sham. (laughs) yeah it totally that's exactly what it reminded me of that whole character of tex reminded me out of something like from that. oh boss hog you remind yeah. me of boss hog for sure <laughs> dude uh but so so yeah so this is uh where so basically good girl has been slowly developing this crush on nick cage 
throughout the movie. And it starts with the first kill where Slowly? her friend... I don't know. Those eyes at the beginning were like, fuck me, Nick Cage. Yo, they were, they were. <laughs> you're right. It, it, it started pretty hot and heavy for sure. So basically, and I love this too, because this is very anti-PC, the way this love story unfolds. She falls in love with him because she sees him beating people to death against walls. Like the first part where she starts to fall in love with him is when she beats the... Uh, a ghost and goblins guy to death. Remember the kill for that was like, he was just beating his head against the wall over and over again. Yeah. It, it pans the good girl. And she's just looking at him so longingly as he's doing this. <laughs> and, and then there's another one where, uh, he goes in to kill crocodile after it, crocodile kills a bad girl and her boyfriend. And she gives him the same googly eyes as she, he murders that one. This girl is falling in love with a toxic male. This is toxic masculinity, Broadcaster Nichols, and it's the cornerstone of this woman's attraction for Nick Cage. And it all culminates with the scene with uh, the Beta Cuck killer, where she comes in, Beta Cuck gets killed, neck, neck snapped, and she turns on her. And then Nick Cage shows up, and it's like, oh, Nick Cage is about to kill her for her. And that's when one of the famous uh, stopwatch g- goes off. <laughs> And he's, he's like, eh, <laughs> here's your knife back. I'll be with you shortly. Good luck. And she didn't fall out of love with him for this. She embraced it. She fucking went to town with this bitch, held out as long as she could. And then after Nick Cage was done, you know, drinking an energy drink and playing some pinball, he shows up and just murks this bitch in front of her. And that's when the final nail in the love coffin is comes in. Like, she just looks at him like, oh, I'm I'm in Nick Cage. So the ending, going back to the ending, he walks out with his car keys and he sees good girl just staring at him in the parking lot. Again, with longing eyes, this bitch is in love with Nick Cage. <laughs> and he kind of just does this move where he like looks away from his car and kind of like gives her this weird pseudo nod, then gets in the car and then good girl just gets in the car too. No wor- Again, Nick Cage does not utter a word in this movie. There has been no conversation between these two. They just know and good girl gets in the car and they just fucking ride off into the sunset. But right after that, we have Tex with the mechanic be like, oh, yeah, like you said, uh, oh, we it's refer all to as Boss Hog, a.k.a. Boss Hog. the Burt Reynolds Boss Hog, the good Boss Hog. Yeah, and Sorrel so- Brook. That's not, <laughs> or Brook, sorry. Boke. God damn, I'm sorry, Sorrel. <laughs> My bad. My bad, dude. All right. Well, for the purposes of the statement, I'm going to say Boss Hog and Fat Man are uh, in the car celebrating like, oh yeah, he actually killed the demons. This is what's up. I can actually reopen this business. And he's like, drinks are on me tonight. And they get in the car and then they see one of the other Straddlers, uh, Pixie Girl, show up. And she just fucking opens a Zippo lighter and just blows up the car. I loved that scene. It was super corny. I think it was the corniest part of the entire damn movie and I loved it anyway. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was. I think it's probably the cheesiest connection too, because when at the beginning of the movie, when the boss hog throws his text, throws the lighter because it won't work, and it hits the uh, garbage and goes into the mud, you're like, "Well, that's clearly foreshadowing." Mm-hmm. And the whole movie goes by, and you're like, "Oh, well, I guess they're not going to use it." And then Tinkerbell uses it. You're like. All right, that was a bit of a stretch, but all right, <laughs> but I, guess, awesome. I guess. 
<laughs> yeah, and and then we go to the final final scene that we've already talked about a bit with the Ghost Rider fire and the glasses and the running over <laughs> the uh... probably the biggest foreshadow slash meta shadow <laughs> of them all. Let's be real. <laughs> yeah, and this is where we establish that this is actually a prequel to Ghost Rider. And uh, who knows what uh, Nick Cage does with Good Girl after that scene closes, because it does like the Acme, like fisheye closing in, yeah. fade out, <laughs> which, does. which to me, it cements this movie into Another just legendary of status. A, of a budget director <laughs> slash production house. They're like, let's use a stock uh, outro effect. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I half expected Bugs Bunny to show up. I, I wanted to hear the sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Well, as you know, broadcaster Nichols, here in the Crack Cellar, we have a segment called The Hit, The Miss, and The Whiff. What is your hit? Dude, Tito the Turtle, bro. <laughs> Tito the Turtle. I, I know. It may have not, you know, the people that have seen this, that may be listening to the, or watched the movie that have, have are listening to this, that know who Tila the turtles maybe they don't think he's as funny but to me i don't know as soon as i heard the spanish dubbing of that turtle <laughs> i fucking died dude was i was like good. this is like a japanese anime villain right now <laughs> he's like the only one that speaks another language and then on top of that it's only the beginning of his uh, of his introduction. It's super good. And then as he's getting beat down, it's kind of like B grade. Like I'm not too. He doesn't have any g- too good of hitters lines as he's getting beat down. But then at the very end, he's the last one. <laughs> he's just sitting in the road. I love it, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's hard to it's hard to quantify as you're talking about it, but like when you hear his dub, his Spanish dubbing, yeah. it's so bad. It's well, it's it's perfectly and it's intentionally good, bad. bad. Yeah, yeah. Those scenes stand out in my memory because like you get this real creep vibe from him. Like he has like this really creepy, not creepy in like the ooh scary sense, but like creepy in like the I wouldn't leave my kids alone with this guy sense. <laughs> I don't want to butcher Spanish any further because I have respect for the <laughs> language, but it's like when she's like trying to shoot the shotgun and then he just holds out his bomb and there's the shotgun shell and he says in Spanish, he's like, you looking. <laughs> yeah, I died, dude. That was great. Yeah, that's a really, that's a really good hit. Uh, my hit is what I call the Punch Energy Arcade Dance Macabre. It's a good hit. Timed with a trusty stopwatch. So we, we've already talked about this, but my favorite part of this movie, and I think it's the biggest hit of this movie, is the ongoing arc of Nick Cage with his stopwatch. At every interval, drops whatever he's doing, goes to the fridge, grabs a punch energy drink, cracks it open, starts chugging, and gets to work on that arcade machine. And each time he gets a little bit further, a little bit further, and then you get to the point where he's like actually kicking ass on the arcade machine and doing like fucking uh Saturday night fever dance spins and shit in front of Oh man, I loved it. I loved it. I love the dancing queen fucking head fucking straight thing. That was awesome. It was so good. Like it was just so fucking good. And it it really is like the bone structure to this movie. Like everything comes off of this. 
if this wasn't here, I don't think this movie would have even been half as good. And everything great about this movie just kind of grows off this skeleton, which is the punch energy arcade dance macabre broadcast. Yeah, it's true. It's very true. It's a good linchpin. Yes. Uh, That being said, broadcaster Nichols, what is your miss? The miss. I think the miss is the editing, like I was talking about. I think it's the only weakness to this movie where it's just like there's some moments where like at the beginning of the movie, you're like, I feel like the way you're directing this movie right now, I should know more about these kids. Like I should Mm -hmm. at least know a little bit more about this old lady and this live chick. Good girl. But I don't. I'm just I'll I, I just know this is the bad girl I just that know she wants like, to be bad. Yeah, I just know she wants to be bad, but but uh she, like the first scene, you know, it's like here I am in front of Willie's Wonderland. I'm just gonna set it on fire. That is literally the scene. Yeah. Here I am, live, gasoline, lights lighter, here's sirens, set only line, oh shit. Then in handcuffs. <laughs> And goes to a trailer and she's acting like she's been in this trailer so many times. And she's like, fuck you to this old woman sheriff. Like she knows her. It's like, but you don't, none of that is explained at all. Mm. You're just like, oh, this crazy hills have eyes. Sheriff lady has abducted this hot bad girl chick. And that's all I know. And then randomly the, the whole squad comes in like squad. knows the whole squad just knows she's there. Right. She's they like, did. oh, the the trailer, we know she's at the trailer. They didn't foreshadow that they were following the the cop car. They didn't foreshadow that the squad knew that this was a common location. They didn't do any of that. A, there's just so many points in the movie where you're just like, I feel like you filmed an hour and a half and I got about mm. 10 minutes of it in this particular scene, you well, know, where they, they filmed so much and they're like, all right, we need to edit this down into a good movie. And the editor did it. He did a fucking knockout job, but there was just some but it was some cost. weaknesses. Yeah, exactly. There's just some weaknesses you can't fix. You're like, this is the cost right here. I made it as flawless as possible. So just out of curiosity, uh-huh. uh, if first say all of the problems that you have with like the lack of context to some of these scenes, if they added about 40 minutes to this movie and instead of it being one hour, 38 minutes, it I'd say they only need about 20, 20. Yeah. Do you think you would have actually liked the movie more or do you think it would have hurt the movie? Because I'm not sure. I think sure, it would man. have hurt the movie. Yeah. And this is why this is why I don't care too much is it's because of what you're bringing yeah. it up. Exactly. It's just like it's a sacrifice that needed to be done. I think it to yeah, make I it think streamlined so. and well done. They're like, we don't need that shit. Cut the fat off. Sure. It makes some things a little up in the air, but the viewer can figure it out. <laughs> mm, yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, my miss is no nudity. What the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck? Listen, you did everything right in this movie to just make it a perfect homage to that style of horror that I grew up on. And you just, it's like you got all the way to the bottom of the ninth inning, bases loaded, and you struck out. Like, don't. I get like I get that you want to appeal to a mainstream audience. Let me tell you something, uh Kevin Lewis. Kids find a way. Nightmare on Elm Street was rated R, my friend. Friday the 13th was rated R, my friend. I found ways to watch those movies as a very young child. You can find a way. 
you do not need to sacrifice things like that to get to whatever rating you want to get. I don't know exactly why they did it or how they did it or like what rating it actually is because it's it's a streaming only movie and these rating systems are starting to get a little murky because the theater system is about dead essentially and all movies are just coming out on streaming and you I don't know exactly what the point of cutting the nudity out was, but this was the definition of that classic Friday the 13th scene with the topless girl having sex and dying as she's having sex, the hubris of the moment, the bloody tits. This is a rite of passage for young boys on the wall hubris, dude. Let's go into the murder room, the famous murder (laughs) room, and then talk about how famous the murder room is and then have sex. Yeah, this is, this is like, you had the moment and you got all the way to the finish line and you're one inch from the finish line and you died of a heart attack. It's, it is my biggest gripe with the movie. And I know it sounds really shallow. It's like, Oh no tits. That's your big complaint. Listen, it's not a big complaint. This is, this is one of my favorite movies I've seen in years. I love this fucking movie, but if I have to pick something, I think they dropped the ball on that. I really think they should have just eaten the R rating and put the tits in. Yeah. I agree with you, man. It was, it would have, uh, how you say, encapsulated the 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 full trope, yes, of the eighties slash nineties horror. You it know the, the 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 fake arterial blood splatter over mm-hmm. the the perfect bombshell double D tits. You know, it's yeah. just like one of those things where you're just like, ah, oh. yeah. This it puts the cherry on top. You know, it could have, but that cherry was stolen from us, broadcaster Nichols. That being said, what is your whiff? The whiff. What is the whiff? That's a hard one. I didn't think about I this know. one too much. I had a hard time with the whiff as well. This is a really good movie. I think the whiff, honestly, if I'm really digging deep and, and just personally, if I'm not thinking about it too much, I think Tex. I think Tex. Mm. And the uh, tow driver, they were a good duo. And watching them at the end kind of do the Dukes of Hazard, mm-hmm. like Boss Hog and Assistant. I forget. I want to remember the assistant. <laughs> oh, Sheriff Roscoe. Sheriff Roscoe. Yeah, yeah. Roscoe. <laughs> Roscoe and Boss Hog. It's like it was like watching them. They even had the horn, the Texas horns on the on the car and everything. You know, so it's like. When they're like, well, hot damn, we did it. It's a good day. We'll celebrate. Drinks are on me. It's just like, man, watching that, I was like, man, I wish I would have got more of them. In the yeah. Movie. Yeah. If they were <laughs> going to add another 15, 20 minutes to the movie, I think that's where I would have wanted to go to is those two. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with you there. Uh, my whiff is the narrated backstory flashbacks. I think that they were poorly done. And the second one with the grandma, with a uh, old old girl, was totally unnecessary and should have just been cut. The first yeah. one was at least necessary, but I just think they did it the wrong way. I like the backstory. I like that they kind of took like the child's play Chucky style backstory and kind of applied it to Chucky e. Cheese. Like it, it's even like a wordplay: Chucky e. Cheese, Chucky e. Child's Play. Like it all works perfectly <laughs> together, but. I think that they could have done it in a better way and listening to good girl narrate it as it's happening in the flashback, the flashback was just really cringy. 
her delivery was bad. She was pretty good acting most of this movie. I think her worst acting in the movie was while she was reading the script for this backstory. It You could just sense in the words that she didn't really know what was going on. And she's just like, eh, okay, I'm reading this shit. Didn't she's work for me. She's a famous actor too, right? She's from like Hills Have Eyes, or not Hills Have Eyes. She's from uh, House of the Dead, isn't she? I have never seen Good Girl in anything except for no old lady, old lady, old girl. Yeah, old girl. Oh yeah, she was. Isn't she from oh. Texas Chainsaw? She's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That's where she's from. She's you from Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it, dude. I totally yeah. forgot about that. That she is. So yeah. she's like a horror legend. She is a horror. Hold on. I got to look this up now. Yeah, she's she's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I don't know what she's from, but now that you say that, I know she was in a horror movie that I've seen, like a good one. Like, I I can see her face now and my memory is a different character once you brought it up. I'm not sure what it is, but I, I know for certain you're right about that. She was definitely in a different horror movie that I've seen that I liked a lot. Uh, what I was going to say about Good Girl is that uh, she was in a show. The only thing I've seen her in was a show called The Last Ship, which is like a post-apocalyptic sort of show that is over now. It had Adam Baldwin from Firefly, and it. it was a pretty good show, military-based. If you're an SG-1 fan, you, you'd like The Last Ship. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, uh, most, of the mo- most of the movie, most of the actors in this movie are no names except for Cage, uh, Good Girl, and I guess Old Girl. Now that you bring that up, so good call. Dude, yeah, good she's call. super famous. She's super famous. She's been in all kinds of stuff, dude. She's in Pearl Harbor. She's in Jag. She was in fucking. Oh god, she was young in Jag. I oh my yeah, god, dude, I remember her young. now in Jag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Damn. Uh, she was. Uh, God, she was in Donnie Darko. She was in Speed yep. with fucking Keanu. Oh, oh shit, she was in Speed. Bro. I remember. <laughs> Damn. Wow. Yeah, she's old school. No Country for Old Men, which I don't remember at all in, but apparently she was in that. Yeah, American Gods, which you should definitely check out. Don't mm. get discouraged, man. Watch that. First I don't know, season. man. Marilyn Manson got kicked off, didn't he? I think Marilyn Manson got kicked off reality right now. So (laughs) rest in power. (laughs) Broadcaster Nichols, as you know, here in the crack cellar, we use the official patented Nick Cage rating system on that system. What do you rate Willie's Wonderland? I mean, I mean, I mean, this might be, somewhat of a controversial take oh drama let's hear it i'm gonna give it a con air oh i'm gonna give it a solid con air solid a all right i mean how could i not yeah uh if you went lower than that i'd tell you to check your vision it's just it's it's from an outsider's point of view, you're like, man, these guys just love Nick Cage. They're just going to give him nonstop. <laughs> Which That's is true. It. Let's be fair. It's true. Let's be true. It is fair. <laughs> but let's let's not hesitate here. Look at it. Do some deep soul searching. Watch this movie. Come back to me. Come back to us. Come back mm. to the cellar. Okay? And tell us 
that it is not A or maybe even semi S tier. Okay, mm. <laughs> movie was solid. Mm. Yes, and that is quite a good uh, foreshadowing for my rating, which is one face off. I'm going to give this my first face off of the year 2021. I loved every second of this movie, the the with the few exceptions being very brief, and I didn't even really dislike them as much as I just thought they could have been done better, which, you know, we've already talked about all those spots. None of those spots were deal-breaking. None of them were even close to deal-breaking. Like, it, at worst, they were minor annoyances on the whole. I think this is one of the greatest Nick Cage movies of all time. It's one of my favorite movies of recent memory, it's up there with Mandy. It's up there with anything recently I've seen with Nick Cage. I would put this in the conversation for top three Nick Cage movies of all time. Now, that's a that's a fucking lofty thing to say right there, because as you know, there are a lot of good Nick Cage movies, and uh, they are also featured on our Nick Cage rating system, as you know. I would I would put this up in the running for top three. I don't know if it would if I if it all shaked out if it would actually be in the top three, but it's up there and it's in consideration for me. I wonder oh. if we'll ever get a Nick Cage movie this good ever again. That's how good I think this movie is. I think this could be the high water mark for Nick Cage. I think it's the high water mark for Nick Cage and budget house and production. Like I just. Mm. Like when you look at this and you're like, how much, how little money was involved? It was good. It was all hard. Yeah, it's all hard, and it's just, it's the essence of what makes good movies a good, a good movies. You know, you don't, you need money. Obviously, you need. I mean, you got Nick fucking Cage in there. You need money and you need an idea, but at the same time, it just goes to show you that, like, even when all things considered your small fry coming to the table that if you have heart and soul in the talent, you just, you, your presence is tenfold. You know, it's just, you can't fake that shit. You 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 really can't can't teach it. Yeah. You can't fake it. It's like you, everything that came to the table to make this movie for, for all things and purposes is just shit but there's some special it all came together and it made a good recipe but everything separately you're just like this is gonna be bad you're wasting your money this is a schlock movie but they they knocked it out of the park yeah uh i think that this movie is going to go down in history as a cult classic and a very strong cult classic i think a new generation of kids that are going to grow up watching this movie are going to turn this into something on along the lines of like the rocky uh horror picture like like stuff like that that's just like really really just cemented into like the lore of horror like this is like the new this is like the new clowns from Mars. Oh, <laughs> you know, killer clowns from outer space. Yeah. Killer clowns from outer space. That's what it was. That's what this is. It's kind of like the, it's like just that new benchmark for that type of movie. It's like the perfect version of that type of movie. Yeah. You're yeah. like, when you go to recommend it in the future, you're just like, ah, oh, it's just hokey. It's funny. 
it's horror. I'm a huge it's- fan of killer clowns out of outer space, as you know. I think that you watched that with me, right? Like, I'm sure that I introduced you to that movie. No, I actually watched that for like my 13th, I, my buddy's like 13th birthday. Like you never parents. saw, dude, I had that on VHS. I watched it a hundred times. You never saw that one? Yeah. That's crazy. No. Wow. All right. Well, I feel I have failed as a brother now. Uh, that is, that is the high, the low watermark for my brotherhood. And I, I still remember because like eight of my friends from like <laughs> elementary school, we all sat down when we all like got into middle school, it was his 13th birthday and his parents put on killer clowns from outer space for us. Those are good parents. (laughs) Yeah. Love it. Turns out to be a thief piece of shit in the end, but whatever, you know, that's that's different. (laughs) Well, on that note, we will close out broadcaster Nichols. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny how time turns people into pieces of shit like that. (laughs) Well, as you know, We live in a society. We do.